For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Der Show, the Get Trump Posse. Obviously, I named my book after this posse, Get Trump. The Get Trump Posse has now come up with a new way of twisting, distorting, and destroying the United States Constitution in order to get Trump. Not satisfied with going after him on absolutely made-up cases like in the New York case where he's been indicted for refusing to disclose the payment of hush money in a corporate form, something that no one in history has ever done or been accused of not doing, moving to the case in, in, in Florida, he waived a piece of classified material. Some people call it a smoking gun. I call it a smoking cigarette butt. Um, it's so weak and it's so str- small. Uh, even if the case is there, what does it prove? That he was a braggart and he waved a piece of classified material in front of somebody to the two stronger cases on the theory, but not on the facts of the law, the one in the District of Columbia and the one in Georgia. They've now changed tack. Um, the leader of the posse has always been Professor Lawrence Tribe, who will misread the Constitution in any possible way, stretch it, distort it, uh, make up the law as long as he can get Trump. I mean, he's a civil disobedient, basically. He's prepared to violate the law, mislead the American public, mislead his his students. He doesn't teach now, but his many, many former students and people who admire him. And he's given a pass because the end is get Trump. And the means, we don't care about the means. We don't care if the Constitution is violated. We don't care if the rule of law is ignored. We don't care if precedents are set that will make it harder to uh, have adequate uh, votes in, in future elections. We just don't care. Hit, it, 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 it's like Hitler is uh, about to be elected and we can do anything in our power to do it. Well, look, if it were Hitler, I have to tell you, if it were Hitler, I would do everything, including walk up to him with a gun and shoot him between the eyes and surrender. That's how strongly I feel about Hitler. But Donald Trump is not Hitler and I'm not Goebbels or, 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 or Himmler which is the way some people think I am because I defended him on the floor of the Senate. Oh, my God. What could be worse? Well, the only thing that could be worse is John Adams, I guess, defending the people who conducted the Boston Massacre. How could anybody ever forgive that? Well, he ended up being a president. I'm, I'm not in the running, so you don't have to forgive me or vote for me. But um, I certainly like to think of myself in the tradition of lawyers who have uh, defended people who are extremely unpopular uh, as you know, I don't support Trump. I want to be able to vote for him against him for the third time. And I want you to be able to vote for him for the third time if you choose to do that, but not under the new tribe 
interpretation of the Constitution. So he has an article uh, out just the last couple of days ago with a judge before whom I have argued and who is a very result-oriented um, judge. Um, and he's result-oriented again in this case. He doesn't like Trump. And so he's prepared to rewrite the Constitution to permit Trump to be disqualified from running without even having been convicted of a crime. Listen again. These people, these people, Lawrence Tribe, Judge Lutek, are prepared to argue that Donald Trump is already disqualified from running for president without having been convicted of any crime based on their misreading of the Constitution. So here's the 14th Amendment. Um, as you probably imagine, I essentially know it, know it by heart as I do the, the Constitution. This is my version of the Constitution. I wrote an introduction. It's available on uh, hot books. And, and it's, you know, it's the Constitution. And they point to the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment is famous because it provides for the equal protection of the laws. It's great. And uh, the equal protection of the laws is an important part of our American system of governance. But then it has, after proclaiming broadly what the rights are, it has several provisions that deal only with the Civil War uh, and with the aftermath of the Civil War. Because, as we know, the 14th Amendment was really the peace treaty for ending the Civil War. And Section 3 of the 14th Amendment provides that no person shall be eligible to vote, to run for anything, or even to vote, by the way, but to run for anything, state office, federal office, from town clerk to president of the United States, um, if he shall have engaged in insurrection and rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies uh, thereof. It's so obvious when you read this that this was limited, it was intended to be limited, to people who have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States during the Civil War. In fact, it's followed by Section 4 of the same 14th Amendment, which talks about um, payment for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, meaning the Civil War, and that nobody can be make any claim for the loss of emancipation of any slave. Well, obviously, that has to relate to the Civil War. Once the Civil War was over, there were no enslaved people to be emancipated. There were people to be treated fairly under the equal protection laws of the Constitution, but there were no emancipation of slaves. Nobody could be paid for that. Obviously, these provisions are intended to relate to people who fought in the Civil War. And the best evidence that it was not intended to be a general disqualification for running uh, for president of the United States is another provision of the Constitution. The impeachment provision, which I am very familiar with, maybe more than anybody else uh, today living. Um, I have done all the research on the impeachment provision because I obviously represented uh, the Constitution on behalf of Donald Trump when he was unconstitutionally impeached and we won the case in front of the Senate. And so I know quite a bit about impeachment. I've read every word of the debates uh, in the Constitutional Convention and in the state constitutional conventions. And, you know, my arguments, people agree with them, disagree with them, but they're well-founded in fact. But whatever you think 
of my arguments, the Constitution itself provides exquisite procedures for how you can get rid of a president who has been elected. You have to get two-thirds of the Senate after getting a majority of the House. The Chief Justice of the United States must preside. It's so clear that these procedural safeguards are designed to prevent the easy removal of an elected president, even if he's charged with treason and even if he's convicted of treason. He can't be removed unless these procedures are followed. Impeachment by the House, conviction by the Senate, in front of the Chief Justice, by a two-thirds vote of the United States Senate. Do you think that the framers of the Fourth Amendment, knowing about how difficult it is to get rid of a treasonous president, would have made it so easy to prevent the election of a president? So easy, it doesn't even have a procedure. It doesn't say you have to be charged with a crime, convicted of a crime. All it says is you have to have engaged in insurrection or rebellion or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. If you're going to have a procedure that's used in eternity for the future, an enduring constitution, the longest enduring constitution in the history of humankind, you have to have procedures. You just can't say, whoops, a secretary of state can do it. What's tribe's answer? Well, yeah, a secretary of state can disqualify him. Uh, a governor can disqualify him. You know, what, a third of our states now are governed by Democrats, two-thirds by Republicans. That would mean that the Republican governor of Texas could disqualify Joe Biden from running for president on the ground that his actions in opening the borders of Texas uh, constitute some kind of an insurrection or rebellion. It's absurd. Of course it's absurd. But the point that can be made is that there's no process. Absurd results would be allowed to be accomplished under the tribe uh, analysis. It's just unthinkable that framers of a constitutional amendment would be so sloppy as to omit the important consideration. Well, what does tribe say? What do others say? Well, no, but there are other things in the Constitution's qualifications for president that are self-enforcing. You have to be 35 years old. Really? Does that really require a trial by jury? You have to be 35 years old. You need a process for that. Just look up the birth certificate. But then they say, what about being a natural born citizen? At the time of the framing, nobody thought there'd be a dispute about that. The provisions are clear uh, where you have to be born, when you have to be born, even if you were not born in the United States before a certain date. It's okay. Nobody imagined that uh, Barack Obama would be challenged on his uh, natural uh, born status. And can you imagine if a secretary of state had disqualified Obama? Who do you think the first person challenging him on constitutional grounds would have been? Lawrence Tribe. He would have changed his mind. He would have had a completely different argument because Tribe's argument all depend on the results. He is not a person who reads the Constitution consistently and neutrally. First, he comes to the result. I want Trump out, so I'll read the Constitution this way. I want Obama in, so I'll read the Constitution this way. That's his modus operandi, and that is his method of interpreting the Constitution. Result first, then you analyze the case to make sure you get to that result. Alice in Wonderland, verdict first, execution, then the trial comes last of all. Um, and, and that's why I've challenged Professor Tribe 
to debate me on this issue at Harvard Law School, on my podcast, on any station. No, he goes instead to CNN, where he gets adoration and support, no hard questions. Just, yes, sir, Professor Tribe. Uh, Judge Ludic introduces him as the most distinguished constitutional law professor in America. No, no, no. He's not a scholar when it comes to the Constitution. He's an advocate when it comes to the Constitution. The Constitution means what he wants it to mean. There is no objective meaning. It means something different today than it will tomorrow, depending on which shoe, which foot the shoe is on. Uh, if, if, if somebody were to try, if this had started with an attempt to try uh, to disqualify Joe Biden, I assure you the tribe would be on the other side of this case. Um, I would be on the same side because my views are neutral and objective and they don't vary with, with, with whose ox is being gored or, or which foot the shoe is on. I apply a neutral standard in reading the Constitution and I wish more people would do that. There is just no way of reading this constitutional provision as enabling a secretary of state or a governor to disqualify the leading candidate at the request of his opponent's political party. That's what it comes down to. What it comes down to is Tribe says that any Democratic secretary of state, any Democratic governor, Governor Newsom of California, governor of New York, governor of New Jersey, whoever, can suddenly declare that Donald Trump can't run for president. I guess it follows that the president, that the governor or the secretary of state of Texas can do the same thing with Joe Biden. We're going to get anarchy if that's allowed to happen. But tribe doesn't care. And Judge Ludic doesn't care. What they care about is get Trump. Get Trump by any means. Trump is Hitler. Trump can't be allowed to be president. Get Trump. Well, they're getting Trump. They're trying to get Trump. They're trying to get him disqualified. But by getting Trump disqualified, they're disqualifying you from voting against him as I want to do or for him as many of you probably want to do. The ultimate check and balance on tyranny is not secretaries of state making partisan decisions. It's the vote of the people themselves. And this procedure that's being concocted, invented by, by tribe and others is the most anti-democratic procedure I've seen in my 60 years of practicing and teaching law. The idea that a small group of elitist party hacks from the opposing party can prevent the leading candidate from running, let me tell you, they've just earned a new banana. We're now up to four. Tribe, you've done it. You've gotten the country a banana. We're now four on a scale of 10, maybe five, but Let's assume we're at four. When you say that the incumbent administration can prevent the leading opponent from running against him by simply asserting, he uses the term self-executing, by simply asserting that the candidate running against him has engaged in insurrection or rebellion. That's all. All you have to do is say it. Secretary of State then disqualifies him. Then you can, I guess, bring a case to court. Tell you, I've said before, I, 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 I cannot uh, represent Donald Trump uh, in his criminal cases. I have a policy of representing people only once. But if this case were to get to the Supreme Court on the issue of the disqualification of, of Donald Trump, and I were asked by voters 
um, to defend their right to vote for him or against him. I don't think I can resist taking that case and and confronting tribe in front of the United States Supreme Court. Um, we'll see if that ever happens. Um, it would be two octogenarians. I'm 85 next week and tribes probably 82 or something like that, um, debating whether two octogenarians can run against each other. We, we become a country of really old men. Uh, and I, I say men advisedly because there are too few women um, today uh, in positions of authority. I wish there were more and I wish there were more younger people uh, running for president or having this debate. But remember, debate has been abolished in the United States. There are no more debates. Lincoln-Douglas couldn't happen today. Half the country would say, we think Douglas is right, we don't want to hear Lincoln. The other half would say, we think Lincoln is right, we don't want to hear Douglas. What has happened to debate? What has happened to the great debates in this country that have basically been the hallmark of our democracy? You can't debate anymore, certainly on Martha's Vineyard. You can't debate if you say anything that is opposed to the political correctness of Chilmark you know, no, nobody will debate you. Nobody will talk to you. Nobody will allow you to speak in the library. Nobody will allow you to speak in the community center, in the local synagogues and churches. So that's where we've come to. So I want to renew debate. So, Larry, you know, we've known each other for 50 years. We've argued with each other. We've agreed with each other on occasion. Let's debate this issue. You pick the time. You pick the location. You pick the moderator. I'm happy to have you pick the moderator. Let's just have a fair and open debate on whether or not the 14th Amendment allows secretaries of state and governors from the incumbent political party to prevent the leading opponent, the man who's trying to unseat the incumbent president, from running based on a self-executing statement that, oh, that person has committed rebellion or, or insurrection. Debate me. Beat me on the merits. Uh, let's not do any name-calling. Let's respectfully debate each other. You can go first, you can go last, you can set the rules. All I want is an opportunity to have the American public hear differing views on this issue instead of hearing CNN over and over again make mistake after mistake, prediction after prediction that turns out uh, false. Let's go back to the day. Remember when Bill Buckley used to have this great show on television? Bill Buckley was a great conservative. He called me his favorite liberal. And we would debate these issues. You can get them online. Dershowitz versus uh, Buckley. We debated in front of, I don't know, 2,000 people at, at Harvard called University. It's called Firing Line. Yeah, Firing Line. It was his show. And, you know, it has all that great music. Da, da, I don't, I'm not going to try to sing it. But uh, music from the Baroque period. And, and, and he was a great debater. And I think I was a pretty good debater. Tribe was a championship debater in, in college. Um, so was I. So we would have two pretty good debaters with a lot of experience on uh, constitutional law debating each other. Who would be the beneficiary? The American public would be the beneficiary. So, Larry, debate me. I challenge you. Debate me. Don't hide on CNN. Because CNN isn't a debate. It's propaganda. It's propaganda. Only one side of the issue is, is presented. They hire people based on what their pre-existing ideology is. And they don't present conflicting points of view. Neither does MSNBC. I have to tell you, to their credit, the two stations that I regularly appear on 
um, Newsmax and, and Fox, along with, with others, do present opposing points of view. In fact, I am the opposing point of view often on these shows because I'm not a Trump supporter. Whereas you show me too many people from CNN that are Trump supporters, uh, you're not going to see much of that or an MSNBC. But I don't care about the politics of it. What I care about is the Constitution. And how dare you, Professor Tribe, how dare you distort the Constitution by turning the 14th Amendment from having criteria designed to prevent people who fought in the Civil War from gaining office during the Reconstruction period? How dare you turn it into a preliminary impeachment process? That is, we can't impeach him once he gets into office because he's protected by the text of the Constitution, two-thirds of vote in the Senate. So we will impeach him, in effect, before he ever runs by disqualifying him from running. You think that the framers of the Constitution were really that stupid and that naive to have such different criteria, different procedures before a person is elected president and after he's elected a, a president? No, no. Uh, they wanted very, very, very daunting criteria and procedures before a person can be elected. Now, let me make one final point before I get to letters. Let's assume, for argument's sake, that after a long, complicated debate, the audience rules in your favor 52 to 48. Let's assume that. It's not going to happen, but let's assume that. Do you think a close case like that a controversial close case, which could easily go both ways, should be enough to prevent voters from voting for their chosen candidate? No, no. If you want to prevent voters from voting for their chosen candidate, you better have a constitutional argument that gets 95% of the vote, that is overwhelmingly clear. And even you, Professor Tribe, could not look me in the eye and tell me that the 14th Amendment is clear and unambiguous and deliberately provided no procedures. You essentially say that in one of your articles, but it, you know it's not true. The framers could easily have said, for the future, we now have a process in addition to the impeachment process for preventing a candidate from running. You have to charge him with this, that, or the other thing. You have to persuade the House of Representatives to disqualify him. Then that has to go in front of the Senate with a two-thirds vote with the Chief Justice of the United States presiding. That's what they would have done if they wanted to have a permanent process for qualifying or disqualifying all future candidates for president of the United States. They didn't have that. And the best you can win in the argument, and you're not going to even win that, the best you can win is that, well, it's ambiguous, it's a close case, maybe the frame is possibly meant to apply to future presidents without a trial, without an impeachment, without anything just based on what a secretary of state believes subject to judicial review. Maybe you could persuade somebody that that's a possible interpretation. Possible interpretations are not enough to prevent millions and millions and millions of voters from voting for their candidate of choice. The ultimate check and balance in a democracy, is the vote. And you're taking that away. Shame on you. Let's get to letters. Professor Dershowitz, 
This was an excellent opening statement. You remember my opening statement, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. You know, if you're going to convict, you have to do this, that, and the other thing. One element you can add to this hypothetical is to imagine if all presidential elections in the future will be affected by your decision, and you have severely deterred candidates in the future from ever questioning results, and imagine that this action would also even mildly encourage those who would contemplate illegally influencing elections. What kind of a country would we live in? It's a very interesting a very interesting argument. It's a little like what I've just said on the show. You have to think about the future. You have to think about the implications of what you're proposing. Again, if the tribe plan were to come into effect, believe me, it would be used by the opposing side. And we would have disqualification after disqualification, litigation after litigation, and the case would never, would never, and the matter would never come to a conclusion. Elections would all be thwarted and distorted. Um, People wouldn't accept the outcome of an election where the leading candidate has been disqualified based on the actions of a secretary of state. Okay. Next question. Can you imagine being indicted and prosecuted for, le for giving legal advice as an attorney? Well, that's happened. Um, uh, Eastman, uh, who's being represented by one of the most brilliant lawyers in the world, my friend and colleague Harvey Silverglade, uh, Eastman is essentially being tried in Georgia for giving legal advice. And Silver uh, Glade and his legal team will, of course, explore that issue and, and, and try to move to have his case severed from uh, the other cases because he's essentially charged with giving legal advice. If the legal advice was wrong, well, that's what happens when you give controversial legal advice. Uh, every lawyer is given legal advice that may have turned out wrong. I'm very cautious. I never tell my clients you're going to win. I give them percentages and likelihoods, but you know anybody can be wrong. And to criminalize legal advice, no. All right, this was a fun one. If you close your eyes and listen, now everybody close your eyes and listen and tell me if you think this is correct. If you close your eyes and listen, you'll think Woody Allen is talking. Well, Woody's a friend of mine. Uh, we grew up uh, just a few miles away from each other and in Brooklyn. Um, yes, we both have Brooklyn accents. Um, yes, we both uh, have eliminated the most extreme aspects of our Brooklyn accent. I don't say, hey, the do's and the do's and all those things. I don't talk like that. But, you know, my accent is Brooklyn, just the way Chicago accents and Philadelphia accents and New Orleans accents. So Woody and I, probably do have uh, uh, some accents in, in common. Um, and uh, uh, But I don't think you would actually think it was Woody Allen. Uh, I think both of us would be insulted. So I know a little bit more about law uh, than Woody does, and he's a hell of a lot funnier than I am. So, um, you know, when you, when you listen to me, it's me, not Woody Allen. Okay. <clears throat> I like this one. You have balls of steel, Dershowitz. Well, nobody has balls of steel, but uh, I try not to be pushed around. Um, I've been tested in the last a few years, as you know. For the first 75 years of my life, I never sued anybody and was never sued by anybody. Now I seem to be spending half my life defending myself against uh, frivolous uh, lawsuits. So far, I've done very well, and I hope to continue to do very well in defending myself. <clears throat> Spoken like a true defense attorney. This is reference to the opening argument. 
There are those of us outside of that narrow view who think that Trump is getting exactly what he deserves. Well, that's the adversary system. Of course, I speak like a defense attorney. I am a defense attorney. I didn't pretend that I was making the argument for the prosecution. I said I was making the argument I would make as defense attorney. <clears throat> so, yes, I'm speaking like a defense attorney. I hope I'm speaking like a good defense attorney. Um, and defense attorneys don't often persuade everybody and they don't often have the facts on their side. That's why we have prosecutors. That's why we have the adversarial process. And I hope the adversarial process survives this get Trump uh, posse. It's, it's going to have a hard time doing so. If you deny Trump the time to prepare for his trial and put him on trial for a, a, a 90 count, 95 page indictment with 18 co-defendants in four months and three and three weeks. No, there's not going to be any possibility of a fair trial. And I have to tell you, no reasonable defense attorney would accept that role. I wouldn't. I would say to the judge, your honor, what you're asking me to do is essentially like asking a doctor to perform open heart surgery uh, with two hours of preparation. No, I need eight, nine months to prepare for this case. I have to find every possible witness that can testify. I have to check into the background of every witness who's testifying against us to make sure we know everything that we possibly can to cross-examine uh, him. Uh, we need to uh, have uh, polls taken about the jury veneer. We need to have mock jurors listen to various arguments. That's the way you try a case. And I'm not trying a case with one hand tied behind my back. Uh, any more than I would perform surgery with the right hand tied behind my back. So, uh, no, uh, that's not the way to try a case. Can the court convict a prosecutor by bringing the wrong case? No, and I made a slip of the tongue in my opening argument. I slipped and said conviction in instead of acquittal, and then I said, uh, well, why don't you convict the prosecutor? That was a mistake. No, don't convict the prosecutor. I don't want to over-criminalize uh, anything, just to quit the defendant is what I really meant to say. So I apologize for my misleading statement. Oh, this is such, this is such a nice, a nice email, uh, but I don't wish it on him, but it's a nice email. If there were a way to directly ask God for something and God would grant it, I would honestly, truly ask him to take away all the years that I have had assigned to be alive to be given to you, Mr. Dershowitz, so you can live longer for many, many years ahead. You are a person who contributes to society a lot. Your mind is a great mind, Mr. Dershowitz. God bless you. I appreciate it very much, but I won't take a minute from your life. I will try to do as much as I can in whatever time the good Lord has allotted me with the help of my excellent doctors and my wonderful wife and children who, who keep me who keep me alive. Um, okay. Again, this is a nice compliment. Professor Dershowitz is a perfect definition of classic liberal. I think that's true. Classic liberal, nonpartisan classic liberal libertarian. I'm a huge fan of Dennis Prager, and Dennis has always spoken extremely highly. Professor Dershowitz, uh, God bless you. Well, Dennis Prager grew up halfway between me and Woody Allen. Uh, he grew up in Flatbush. Um, he went to Flatbush Yeshiva. I was turned down Flatbush Yeshiva because my grades in my yeshiva were so low. So I went to Brooklyn Time Medical Academy. But I remember Dennis um, as a high school student. And um, he has a phenomenal brother who is a medical ethicist and a medical doctor. 
at Columbia Medical School, where my grandson is now uh, intern resident. So thank you all for your wonderful, wonderful uh, letters. And uh, if any of you know Professor Tribe, please communicate to him my challenge. And uh, maybe he'll accept. Wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that be interesting? See you tomorrow. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.